0: Brother John asked me if I'd be willing to give my testimony this morning, Lord. I shared with him in the prayer, men's prayer meeting this morning, Lord. My heart's burning heavy. But I'm also so thankful, Lord, that you saved my soul. I had two constants in my life, Lord. You and my wife. My wife never gave up on me just like you did. For 40 years, I thought I was saved. But you opened my eyes one morning. I heard Jason Crabb sing a song his dad had written. Sometimes I cry. But uh, I never realized I don't cry. I don't cry for the lost. I don't cry for the sick. Something's not right. If you can't shed tears for your brothers, you're not right. I, and uh, my wife she prayed for me I know she did members of this church prayed for me I finally accepted Christ at the age of 58 uh, I had served as a deacon I had been in and out of church my entire life but uh, he opened my eyes as a stubborn old prideful man and then one day he's As I shared in Sunday school, you take the eye out of pride, it's not even a word. Uh, And I just hope I can swallow my pride, Lord, and follow you the rest of my days. And uh, if it be your will, Lord, let me touch the soul, the heart of somebody that's lost here today, Lord. Uh, We all go through many things in life. I've seen my share of ups and downs. And you've always been with me, even when I was lost. You were still with me, and I, I, I'm just so so thankful. Uh, I'm weak, not the man I used to be, but uh, God keeps pushing me on. And yeah, yeah. uh, as long as long as I can get up and serve Him, i want to get up and serve Him. Right, right. And uh, I'm so thankful for. Those two constants, the Holy Ghost and my wife. She, she meant so much to me. She stood by me through all. And the Holy Ghost, he kept touching my heart for 40 years. Every day seemed like he was letting me know something wasn't right, something wasn't right. I thought, well, that's just the devil trying to step in and destroy my confidence. Well, it wasn't the devil. It was the Holy Ghost. And I, I didn't have any confidence in anything but myself. And I, I had to give in. Uh, I just had to give in. And i uh, so thankful. I'm so thankful for my salvation. I'm so thankful for my family, I, my children. They've accepted Christ. My grandchildren, most of them have accepted Christ. Got got another one we're working on. Yeah, he's a sweet little boy, but he's a terror too. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, we'll give him the, all the guidance we we can, Lord. What time we have left? And uh, I just thank you, Lord. I just thank you with all my heart. For not giving up on me. That's right. And I'm so thankful for this church, Lord. I've never been to a church quite like this church. I've never been to a church where the pastor gets up and sings a song like he's sung. And that was great. I was proud proud to be a part of this church. Uh, That just lifted me so much when you did that. Uh, Rachel said I'd have goosebumps. She was right and gave me goosebumps and I'm just so thankful I like to share that with everybody everybody has testimonies so, and that's the one thing God says in his word if you get the chance to share your testimony share it you better. You better. share it Amen. don't be ashamed of him because he's not, definitely not ashamed of us once he accepts us I was thinking about the words in that one song about all the angels in heaven glorifying every time someone's saved it must have been a real party when I got saved. <laughs> but uh, I just—I just hope I just my words touched the heart of somebody this morning. Uh, use me, what time I have left—if twenty years, twenty days, twenty minutes, whatever, Lord, just use me, and uh, I'll be thankful. Thank you. Amen.
1: brother. I appreciate that. You know, I asked him last week, and he told me his wife was so instrumental in his life, and we just praise God. I praise God for godly wives. Amen? Amen. And uh, they keep us straight, don't they? Amen. I hope so. Some of y'all wives, you need to do a better job with your husbands, I'm just telling you. But uh just praise the Lord for God's blessing. Well, uh, my wife and I, we are, we're thankful this morning. We had some uh, friends travel up Uh, From Alabama to be here with us this morning, the Diarmans and I saw them scoot up to the balcony like Good Baptists. Where are they at? Wait, wait. oh, they're they're in the back back. I'm gonna tell you. I'll tell you. Well, we're so thankful to have them here with us this morning, and uh, special friends of ours. We're thankful they made this journey this morning. Well, uh, this morning we're going to talk about what will you do for a friend? What will you do for a friend? If you got your Bibles open up Luke chapter five, we're going to look at a story about what will you do for a friend. And as we continue our series on who's your one we want you to just think about who that one is and what god is calling you to do and how we can reach our one and so we think about what we can do for a friend you know it really comes down to this idea you know, there were two kids and they were outside playing you know little boy come over to sister he said i'm gonna go out and play football and i want you to come out there and i want you to cheer for me so the little boy goes out there, and his little sister's just excited that her brother wants her to be along, play along with her. And so they go out there, and the little boy's just throwing football. He's throwing it up in the air to himself and catching it, rolling around on the ground, going and rolling into the end zone, spikes the ball, touchdown. He's excited, and his sister's over there just cheered away with the pom-poms. Yay, Bubba! Yay, Bubba! Way to go! Way to go! And so she goes running inside to her daddy, and she says, Daddy, 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 did you see me and Holt were out there, and we were playing football? And the dad goes, Honey? Holt was playing football, but you were watching. Now, you might say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, there's many people in here that are in the thing that God has called them to do. They're serving. And there's others of you out there that think you're doing it when you're just cheering us on. You see, God wants every one of us to be contributors, not cheerleaders. God wants us to be in the game, serving. He wants us to be in the game, reaching out to our friends, making a difference. Not on the sidelines, watching everybody else do the work. God wants us to be a part of the work. That's the thing. God wants to use every single one of us in here. The question, again, is what will you do for a friend? Well, this morning, we're going to look at four things from a passage of Scripture that we're going to pull from this. And it's found in Luke chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 17 and read through to 26. And then we're going to look at four things we can learn from this passage. It says this. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a man, a bed on a man, which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Amen. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? "...whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up their, that their whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today." So the first thing I want us to see is these men had a mission. In verse 17, it says that there was power of the Lord was present to heal. They had a mission. They had a friend who was indeed. They had a friend who was lame. He couldn't walk. Could you imagine being in that position that wherever you go, somebody had to carry you. This guy could not walk. In fact, most of the time, the guys would pick him up. They would carry him into town. They would set him down by the temple. He would probably beg for money all day. He would receive a little bit of money from a few people. And then they would go and they'd have to pick him back up and then carry him home. And that was his life. So these men decided, hey, there is power with this guy named Jesus. We've heard he's making the blind to see. He's making the deaf hear. We even know he's made some lame to get up and walk. He's casting out demons. This guy can do some amazing things. So we've got a mission. We're going to get our friend... To Jesus. That's what we're gonna do. Now, here's the thing many families have a mission. Have you ever thought about that? Have you, some of you in here, you have got your mission down. Right down to the bare bones. You've even whittled something out on wood and you place it in your house, telling everybody what your family is all about. Some of you probably just took Joshua 24 15 and put that in your house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, we have a mission. My mission in my family has always been, it's always been my prayer, is that my children would come to know the Lord at an early age and live for Him all of their days. That's my prayer. That is my mission in life for my family. I want to see my children saved. I I want to see them living for the Lord and glorifying God. Now, you think about it. In businesses, if you're in business, you have a mission statement. You know exactly what you're supposed to do. If all of a sudden you get outside the box in your business, they may come to you and go, Brother, we we like your idea, but that's not who we are. This is what we do. We're a business. This is what we focus on. And all of a sudden, you start getting off in left field. They may tell you, well, you just need to go start your own business. You're not following the mission of our business. Now, many of you didn't realize this, but Instagram is a business. Did you know that? Some of y'all just thought it was an app on your phone, right? You know, you know what their business statement is, their mission statement? It's to capture and share the world's moments. That's the whole purpose, to capture and share the world's moments. I guarantee you around Christmas time, some of you guys were using Instagram, right? You posted a picture. You thought somebody needed to see the plate of food you fixed at your table, right? Some of you posted the gifts that you gave to your grandchildren, you know. Some of you were posting, you know, you got on there and you said, well, you're doing exactly what they wanted you to do. You're sharing life's moments with the world. You're capturing those moments. Many of you know Facebook, it also has a mission. You ready for this? It's a media platform for your grandma to keep up with all her grandchildren. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the mission statement. All right? That's not it at all. Because the truth is, you got, on Insta- you got on Facebook, and you friended your kids and your grandkids, and they left Facebook and went to Instagram. All right? They're like, I ain't having grandma chicken up on me. And if I post something, I don't want grandma to come back and tell me I said something wrong. So they, they skedaddled off of Facebook. But you think about it, we have a mission statement. And even as a church, we have a mission statement. We are investing in your growth. That is our goal is to invest in growth. And we want to do this by reaching and teaching, by praising, by serving, and by connecting. That's exactly who we are as a church. We're trying to follow the five pillars of the early church so that we can focus on those things and be the church that God has called us to be. How many of you know that Jesus Christ had a mission statement? He said this in Luke 19:10, "For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost." The whole purpose and why he came was to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the whole reason why he went to the cross, was to pay for your sins and my sins. He had a mission. He had a purpose, and he was going to fulfill it. I love Jim Cimbala. He's written some phenomenal books, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Fresh Faith, Fresh Power. But in one of his books, he made this statement. He said, this was his statement, I despaired at the thought I might let life slip by without God showing himself mightily on my behalf. Whew. Now you're talking about a man who took a church up in Brooklyn, New York, a church that they couldn't even pay their bills, a church of about 25 people about to shut its doors, and is now running about 6,000 people. He said, I want to see God show up mightily in and through me. And God did. Now, here's the thing. I love this. This is what a great saint once said. He said, if the size of your vision doesn't intimidate you, it's probably insulting to God. If your vision does not intimidate you, it is insulting to God. You say, well, what do you mean? Think about the way you pray a lot of times. A lot of us, we pray for simple things. We pray for things that can happen even if God doesn't show up. How many of you are praying for the impossible? How many of you are praying for God to move like never before? How many of you are praying for God to revive the church? How many of you are praying for the lost to be saved? How many of you are seeing God move in miraculous ways? How many of you are seeing God heal the sick? How many of you are believing that God can do the impossible? You see, we've got to have a vision that believes greater things than what this heart can believe. It can go far beyond what we desire to see. It can go, the Bible says this, that God can do above and beyond what we ask or think. I want to test that out. How about you? I want to test it out. I want to prove that God is always right and God will always be right. God can do above and beyond what we ask or think. We have to believe our vision needs to intimidate us. We must have a mission. These men's mission was simply this we're going to get our friend to Jesus. Let me tell you something. That's a good vision for all of us to have. That's a good mission for all of us to come down to. Some of you may even realize you were somebody's mission today. You're sitting beside them this morning. You're saying, oh, that's why my friend invited me. Well, hallelujah, I'm glad they invited you. You're here for a reason. You are somebody's mission. Number two, these men had an eager expectation. Look at verse 18. Behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. They had an eager expectation. They expected something to happen. If we lay this guy at Jesus' feet, there's no way he's just going to walk over him. There's no way he's going to leave him like that. We have seen what he can do. There have been people that have cried out to him and said, Hey, Lord, if you will just take away my blindness. And he goes over and he touches their eyes and boom, they could see. So there's no way if we get him to Jesus, we have an expectation that he will be changed. Can I tell you, we ought to have the same eager expectation. If we get them to Jesus, he'll take care of the rest. Yeah. It's guaranteed God is moving. God works. God moves in mysterious ways sometimes. But here's the thing. Our eager expectations should move us to take a chance and to take a risk. Are you a risk taker? Are you willing to take a risk? Yeah. Let me tell you about a few men in the Bible that took risk. One of my favorite stories, you go all the way to the book of Joshua. I know Joshua? Joshua had to take up the mantle of Moses. Now, please understand, Joshua was told, I want you to take my people into the promised land. Now, you got to understand, Joshua's sitting there. He's walked with Moses for about 40 years. Joshua's been up on the mountain with Moses. He's seen God speak directly to Moses. He has seen God move and do things only in, through Moses that he could never imagine could be done in his life. And now, all of a sudden, Moses couldn't take him into the promised land. I guarantee you, Joshua's first thought was, Lord, if Moses couldn't do it, how am I going to do it? But he took it up. He took a risk. He said, yes, Lord, I'll be your leader. The very first thing he does, they get to the Jordan River. Guess what they need? They need a miracle. How are you going to pass through a river that's flowing, that's flooding, that's going, that's overboard? How in the world are you going to do it? Well, what's going to do? God says, I want you to take the tabernacle. I want you to take... The uh, Ark of the Covenant. I want those guys to step into the water. As soon as they step in the water, watch what I do. Sure enough, they step in the water and the waters part just like the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground just like the Red Sea. God opened it up and showed Joshua, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. So often we sit back and we say, well, I see God is with that guy, but God won't be with me. Let me tell you something. Joshua probably thought the same thing. God, you're with Moses. How are you going to be with me? You did something amazing through Moses. What are you going to do through me? Well, Lord was going to show him in a mighty way, right? They go to the city of Jericho. God goes, I got a plan to defeat Jericho. Okay, Lord, what's your plan? Well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk around some walls. Well, Lord, how are we going to win that battle? He didn't ask that question. He didn't think twice about it. You're just going to walk around some walls. And then what you're going to do is on day seven, you're going to walk around seven times. And then you know what you're going to do? You're not going to fire a catapult. You're not going to bring in a battering ram. You're simply going to scream. That's it. And so when they walked around that seventh time and they screamed, the walls fell flat, came down. You know what? That's not the only amazing story that happened in Joshua. Another time they're out to the battle and Joshua knows that they need to beat the enemies. And so he said, Lord, I pray that the sun will stand still. And it did. They got another 12 hours. Another 12 hours. Why? Because Joshua took a risk. He believed in God. He trusted in God. Joshua's not the only risk taker. How about Gideon? The Lord tells him, I want you to go and fight the Midianites, okay? You want me to go fight the Midianites? Let me gather up an army. He gets 32,000 men. 32,000 men. God goes, hey, guess what, Gideon? Your army is too big. Too big. Now, understand, we don't even know the size of the Midianite army. It was probably a huge army. 32,000 was probably smaller than the Midianite army, but Gideon was going to trust God. So he takes them down. He says, all right, guys, I want to know who's scared. 22,000 raise their hands. He goes, you're dismissed. 10,000 men, all right? Lord, now I got 10,000 men. God goes, you know what? That's still too many. What do you mean still too many? Still too many. I need you to get it smaller. They go down, they drink from the brook. Gideon narrows it down to 300 Guys, who has ever heard of going to battle thousands and thousands and thousands of people for with three hundred guys? But Gideon trusts God, and God won the battle. Why? Because he took a risk. He trusted in God. He had an eager expectation. Not just Gideon. How about Peter? One of my favorite stories is Peter when Jesus is out there on the water, and and Peter looks out and he says, "Lord, if it's you, command me to come." And Jesus said, "Come on." And so Peter gets out and he walks on water. Now a lot of people say, "Well, don't you remember?" Peter lost his faith, and Peter fell in the water. There's two men that can say they've walked on water, Jesus and Peter. At least Peter got out of the boat. He's a risk taker. We need to be risk takers. We need to be expecting God to do great and awesome things. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Don't you just love that story? They're sitting there, they're faced with a. they got to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. If they don't bow down, he's going to throw them in the fire. He heats it up several times more, so they go up there. Now, here's the thing. The guys say this. They say, look, we believe our God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. And I think it's awesome because as they're going up to the furnace and they're being carried, getting ready to be thrown in, and I bet you as they get tossed in, they're going, well, we didn't expect it to go that way. Well, they probably didn't because as soon as they hit down, the rope's busted and they start walking through the fire. You know, they're just walking through the fire. And they're like, man, this is, this is pretty cool. Not even singed hair. It's not even hot in here. It's not touching my clothes. Wow, look, gee, look, look who's with us. Look who's with us in the fire. No wonder it didn't touch us. But man, it burnt the guys that threw them in. It was a real fire. They took a risk. They believed that God was going to do something great. We need to have an eager expectation. If we're not stepping out on faith, we're not depending on God to do something great. God wants us to believe he can do something great. But we've got to expect it. We've got to expect it. So these men had a mission. These men had an eager expectation. Number three, these men encountered, you ready for this, an obstacle. Look at verse 19. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went to the housetop let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Man, they they get to the house. Jesus is inside. We got to get this man to Jesus. They run into a crowd that's kind of around the house. Can you imagine what they probably did? They probably said, excuse me, can I get through? And the guys are going, nope, you can't get through here. Sorry, we're listening. Will you you please be quiet? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that's kind of like people coming into church and they say, hey, can I sit there? And you go, nah, nah, I'm saving this one. Move over. Your name's not on the pew, is it? Scoot on down. We had a woman one time, she told a person, said, you're sitting in my seat there's only one assigned seat it's up there you don't want to go there right not yet just saying scoot move it right but you think about this man they encountered an obstacle it was a difficulty it was a hardship they get to the door it's full man how many of you guys would come to church you see it full and you go well there's no seat for me i'm leaving man stand up whatever it takes right Stand up. Man, I hope we fill it up. I do, man. I hope every seat in here is filled up one day. And then we do have to stand up. I have to stand up. You might as well stand up with me, right? Just stand up. But they encountered an obstacle. Here's the problem. The greatest problem that we face is simply this. We use a lot of Christian ease. you know. We get up to an obstacle and we go, well, God's closing that door. Let me tell you what closed door for Christian ease is. That just means it's an obstacle. I don't want to have to face it. God is just telling me to sit down. That's wrong. Imagine if Paul felt that way. How many closed doors did Paul meet? Paul went into a city. He was beat. Paul went into a city. He was stoned to death, carried outside, and he went back in. Went back in. Paul was shipwrecked. He could have said, well, Lord, I guess you don't want me going there. You wrecked a ship. And Paul still went on. Paul didn't believe in closed doors. If Paul believed in closed doors, here's the thing. Half the New Testament wouldn't have been written. Right. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? But we look for the easy way out. We don't want to push through. Sharing the gospel with people is not easy. It's not. Some of y'all say, well, brother, if I get out there and share the gospel, I will, I'll probably stutter or, or I might not say the right thing or I, I just don't know what I need to do. Well, here's the truth of the matter. It's not going to be easy, but God will be with you, and God will speak through you. He will. And here's the thing. I remember I went to one guy. His name was Gary. And we were going around knocking on doors, and I ran into Gary. And Gary lived in his trailer, and he came out, and he, he looked a little rough. And I started talking with Gary, and I said, Gary said, uh, I said, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? He goes, believe. Now, a lot of people would look at that and go, well, he got the right answer. Praise the Lord, let's move on. And I said, believe. I said, believe in what? And he goes, well, I believe in Jesus. I said, well, that's great. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus for what? He started looking at me like, dude, have I not given you enough of the answer? And I'm like, nope, I want more. He goes, well, you, you got to believe it. that he died for you and then he rose again. I said, that's fantastic. I said, but let me tell you something, Gary. I said, here's the only issue that I've got with your answer. He looked at me like, what do you mean you got an issue with my answer? I said, here's the issue I got with your answer. I said, the Bible says in James 2.19 that even the demons believe and tremble. So what's the difference between your belief and their belief? I said, you just told me that you haven't been in church in 20 years. You told me that you don't read the Bible, that you don't pray, that you don't do anything for the Lord. I said, but man, you prayed a prayer, hallelujah, but that's not really believe, is it? I said, you really haven't changed, have you? Now, some of y'all are looking at me like, I can't believe you just condemned him. Well, the truth was I didn't condemn him. He condemned himself. He said, I believe. Believe what? Let me tell you something. You can have faults about God, but that won't change you. The thing is, the true belief is going to change your life. You're going to put all your faith in him. Even the demons believe and tremble. My goodness, every time demons got around Jesus, they fell on their knees and said, look, it's the son of God. It has to be more. You want to know what the difference is? The difference is that the person who believes it's a Christian is going to live it. They're going to live it. The demons believe, they don't live it. They, don't believe, they believe Jesus is Lord, but they don't live Jesus is Lord. We're called to do that. We're called to be crucified with Christ. It's not going to be easy. We've got to understand that when we face obstacles, it's okay. We can move forward. Can I tell you something? When I, was, when I sent my resume here to Hillcrest, I sent it back in August of 2018. Did y'all know that? 2018. Y'all might say, goodness, they had your resume for over a year. They did. They did. And I remember, I sent it, and I didn't hear anything. So you know what I said? Okay, Lord, I guess that's just not meant for me to be there, right? I started praying about that. I was like, okay, Lord. So I sent my resume to some other churches. I was talking to other churches. I interviewed with other churches. And what's interesting is, all of a sudden, my friend calls me up, Kevin Hamm. And Kevin calls me up, and he says, hey, brother. He said, uh, I want to send your resume to this church I know. I said, okay. He said, I'm going to send it to Hillcrest Baptist Church. I was like, "I'm um, I, I, about this close to going, Kevin, I done sent my resume there. And he goes, I just feel like God wants me to send it. When he said that, I said, shut your mouth, John. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. So I didn't. I said, okay, man, if you feel I have to send my resume up there, go for it. You know what's really cool about that? I didn't find this out until about a couple months later. We were sitting at lunch with the search committee. And I could have just said, man, Lord, you know, put so many obstacles in the way. I'm not going up there. That's not where you want me to be. But I'm sitting there, and we're eating lunch. And they asked me if I felt like God was leading me here. And I asked them. I said, well, now I need to know, does, do you guys feel like God is leading me there? And a couple of them said, well, you know, one of them said, well, I told them that our next pastor was coming from Alabama. And the other one said, well, I told them that it's some, North Carolina was going to have something to do with it. But the kicker was Pam Smith when she said this. She said, I remember in our last meeting, we were praying. And she said, My prayer was this Lord, if we've missed somebody, if we've overlooked somebody, have them resend their resume. <laughs> Pastors don't resend their resumes. We just realize you don't want us. And we move on, you know? But that week, they got that package from Gardendale First Baptist with Kevin Ham's letter and my resume in there. You see, God will move even when obstacles are in the way. You just can't always try to take the easy path. These guys could have taken the easy path, right? They could have taken the easy path. They could have said when they got to the door, well, it's just not meant for us to happen. Here's the obstacle. We can't move around. But you know what they did? They said, you know what? I think there's another way. So let's go around back. So they go to the back of the house, and on the back of these houses in Jerusalem, they would have these little staircases that would allow you to get up on the roof. So here's four grown men carrying a mat, even though it says a couch. It was kind of a mat bed, and they were carrying it up these steps. Now, I'm going to tell you what. You carry up a body upstairs, that's not fun, all right? I've just helped kind of, you know, I need a dolly to push a washer and a dryer, but they're carrying this man up these steps. They get up on the roof. Okay, now they're on the roof. There's no skylight. Let's make one. Right? So you're talking about here's Jesus. He's inside the house. He's teaching the people. He's probably hearing up on the roof. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, they're tearing back. They're tearing back the mud. They're tearing back the straw. They're pulling up the tiles. He's sitting there preaching. Dust is probably falling right in front of him. He's still going. He's probably looking up. The people are wondering what in the world's going on. He's still teaching away. More and more tiles are open up. Sun's really beaming in. And the next thing they know, all of a sudden, here comes a body lowered down in front of them. They weren't going to let anything get in the way what are you going to let get in the way are you going to let obstacles get in your way they pulled that roof apart and they put that man down because they said let's get him to the feet of Jesus and there's no obstacle that's going to stop us from getting him there man I'll tell you what I want four friends like that how about you I want four friends like that because those guys were awesome they said we're not letting anything get in the way we're going to get this man to Jesus they tore back the roof Lowered him down. And lo and behold, here's what happened. You ready? These men got more than they bargained for. Look at verse 20. And when he saw their faith. Look at that. When he saw whose faith? Their faith. Talking about the four men. Not the man on the mat. The four men who brought him there. When he saw their faith. He said to the man, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now wait a minute. Wait just a second. They didn't bring him there for that, right? Some of y'all are sitting here going, I didn't come to church to hear you preach all that time, right? I came with my friend because he promised me lunch today. Good. You'll have something to talk about. Complain about me. That's fine. I don't care. I've, I've been to places where they've had fried preacher before. It's all good. I'm a little gamey, but it's okay. Man, they get there and they lower him down, and lo and behold, what's the problem? The problem is simply this Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven, but wait a minute, we came to get this guy to walk. We want you to tell him to get up. What do you mean your sins are forgiven? What's going on here? Well, here's the thing Jesus recognized something that was a little bit more important than walking. Jesus knew that more than anything, he said, I, I can make this guy get up and walk. That's no problem. But the problem is he's still walking in this world, and he's still a walking dead. You see, the problem is he's still going to die in his sins. You see, the problem is, is now even if I make this guy walk, he's still got a problem in his heart. And I need to heal the heart before I can heal the legs. And so he says... Your sins are forgiven. Now, wait a minute. You, you know there's got to be a problem because look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this It speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Hey, that's a great question because they're exactly right. Only God can forgive sins. Oh, brother, but he's getting ready to show them something, right? Because the answer to that is yes. So he's getting ready to show them he's God. You ready? Verse 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts... You ever just looked at somebody and knew what they were thinking? Yep. <laughs> he knew what was going on. He perceived their thoughts. He answering said to them, what reason ye in your hearts? Whether is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk? Now, you ready? Let's, 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 take a, let's take a little journey on this one for a second. Which is easier to say, thy sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? You ready for this? The easier thing to say, you ready, is thy sins are forgiven. You say, well, what do you mean? It's easier to say it. You want to know why? Because I don't have to show you that your sins are forgiven, do I? But if I tell you to get up and walk, you got to get up and walk. All right? That's easier to say. Now, which is easier to really do? It'd be easier to make a man walk than it would to forgive him of his sins, because only one can forgive of sins, and it ain't me. Only one would pay for his sins. Only one was getting ready to go to the cross to die for his sins. Only one could cleanse him and make him whole before God. Only one could do the job that he's talking about here. And he says, I know which one's easier, but I'm going to show you I can do them both. I'm gonna show you, I can show you something more than you ever expected. I'm gonna do something that is gonna blow your mind. So in verse 24, he says, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up where thereupon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Can you imagine? I can imagine this guy. He gets up, I guarantee you, he didn't walk out of the house, he probably skipped out of the house. He was so excited about what God was doing, he was glorifying God. But he says, let me, let, me, let me show you how I can forgive sins. Because here's the truth. If Jesus was in sin, God would not have heard his prayer to make that man get up and walk. If Jesus was in sin, if Jesus had blasphemed like they said he had, if Jesus wasn't God, he couldn't have forgiven him of his sins nor made the man walk. But he did. He did. He did. There was no obstacle going to get in these men's way and God was going to show them something special and he did. And look at verse 26 and it says, and they were all amazed. Man, I love that. I'm going to tell you, when, when, when God answers my prayers, I don't know why I still get amazed. Do you? I think that's the thing that God's been showing me lately. When I see God answer a prayer that I've been praying for and he answers, I sit there and go, man, that, thank you, God. That's so awesome. And then I sit back and I go, why am I amazed? He does it all the time. Why am I amazed? This is my God. This is the one I serve who can go above and beyond anything I ask or think. What do you mean to sit there and be amazed at God? Because here's the thing. God can do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. You see, these men got more than they bargained for. I want to ask you this question. Here's what I want you to think about today. You see, the greatest need of the people in this world is Jesus. When you think about who your one is, and we've been asking you to think about one, that's it, just one. When you think about who your one is, are you on mission to see that one be saved? Amen. I mean, is it your sole mission? Are you, are you praying for them every day? Some of the guys in our prayer group that we meet on Sunday morning, they said, I'm praying for my, praying for my one every day. Are you praying for your one every single day? Have you got lost children, lost grandchildren, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors? Man, if you love them, you'll pray for them every day that they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm never going to give up. Why? Because I know that God can change them. But that's the thing. you not only got to have a mission, you got to have an eager expectation that God's going to do something. Man, do you believe in your heart that if you get them to Jesus, Jesus will draw them to himself? Do you believe that if you just tell them about Jesus, that Jesus will take care of the rest? Do you believe that God can use even your limping lips to do great things for God? Do you believe that God can speak through you, move in their hearts, change their lives, and save them, and transform them, and they can be greater than they've ever been before? Do you believe it? Because you've got to have an eager expectation. But you've also got to be willing to look beyond the obstacles. Because I'm going to tell you, man, you're going to run into people they're going to tell you what you want to hear. But you've got to be willing to probe a little deeper. You've got to be willing to face any obstacle. You've got to be willing, guess what? Even if that person tells you, I am not listening to you, I don't want to hear anything you have to say, pray for them and go back. You say, well, what if they pull out a, you know, pull out a warrant on me or they pull out a, a, a what do you call it, 50B, right? Restraining order, don't let me around. That's fine, let them call out a restraining order, then you can stand 100 feet away and shout at them, Right? I'm not saying go that crazy, but, man, you just got to face the obstacles sometimes. And I'm here to tell you, people tell you, no, they don't want to hear what you got to say. But they sure don't mind you listening to what they have to say. And one of my favorite groups that comes to my house, I love the Jehovah's Witnesses. If y'all have some, send them my way. I'd love to talk to them. I invite them in. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. I love talking to them. You say, well, why do you love talking to them? Because they need Jesus. They need the real Jesus. They need the real Jesus. They don't have him. Amen. My favorite thing is I'll let them talk. I'll let them talk for 10, 15 minutes, however long they want to talk. And then I say, okay, boys, now let's get serious. You know, let's open your Bibles. Now the problem is, is they've now created their own translation so they can remove some of these things. But I'll say, let's open the real Bible. And we'll open it up and we'll show them that Jesus said, I am. And I'll say, that's all the proof you need right there, that Jesus is God. Not a lesser God. He's not unworthy, but He is God. He was not an angel beforehand. He was God. He was God from the beginning. He's God right now, and He'll be God forevermore. That's what you need to know. Jesus is who He has always said He is. He's either a liar, He's lunatic, or He's Lord. And I trust you that He is the Lord. But you can't allow these obstacles in your way. You can't allow people to look at you like you don't know what you're talking about because the truth is, if you got this book, you know everything you need to know. Are you going to let obstacles get in your way? Because here's what I'm telling you if you'll be on mission and you'll have an eager expectation and you won't let the obstacles get in your way, I promise you, Jesus is going to give you more than you bargained for. He's going to do something special in and through you. What are you doing for your one? What will you do for a friend?